0: medical knowledge doubles every 73 days, causing cognitive overload and burnout among health professionals who are striving to treat patients effectively. Give your team's clinical answers directly at the point of care. Visit uptodate.com. Welcome to the Health Leaders Podcast, the place for peer-sourced and solution-focused insights for healthcare executives, with new episodes airing every Tuesday. I'm Jay Asser, Strategy Editor for Health Leaders. In today's episode, we'll be talking about value-based care with Dr. Gary Stuck, Chief Medical Officer at Advocate Health. Thanks for joining us today, Dr. Stuck. Well, thanks for having me, Jay. I'd like to start with the news that Advocate Health's six affiliated accountable care organizations generated 128.2 million in total savings through the Medicare Shared Savings Program in 2022. What do you attribute that to and what lessons about value-based care can be learned from that success?
1: We're very, very proud of that. We're we're, we're, uh, grateful to the the teams that have worked so hard to get us to that place. We focused on unnecessary acute hospitalizations, and we had a 9.7 reduction in those, 9.7% reduction. We had a 7.2% reduction in unnecessary ED visits and a 10.3% reduction in SNF days. So, Those were some of our focus areas that contributed to the success. Uh, I would say part of the key to our success is that we've been in the MSSP program since its inception in 2012. So we have a lot of experience, we've made our mistakes, we learn uh, what works and and pivot each year from our learnings. So that's been um, one key to success. The second is that we've heavily invested in this program. We've been in it consistently year over year. And uh, we haven't wavered from that. I think some uh, health systems and providers perhaps get tripped up; they're in and out year over year rather than that continuous commitment and investment. And 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 it really does take a lot of hard work, and you have to invest in your people, your technologies, and uh, in and in and then, as I said before, a look back at, at what's gone well and what hasn't. You also have to have the data capabilities to really find out your areas of focus and where you need to improve care and uh, what, what, again, what is and wasn't, what isn't working based with those data-driven uh, results.
0: And CMS has set 2030 as, as as the goal for getting a lot of the care um, models switched over to value-based care. How have you found that to be a push for uh, providers, hospitals, health systems to kind of adopt that uh, in the lead up to 2030?
1: Well, at Advocate Health, we
0: welcome it. We're
1: grateful for where CMS is moving, and, and they're moving in a, in a great space in value-based care in so many ways. I would say, what is value? And, and value is, you know, improving quality, but it's also improving access, lowering the cost. And and now as we, we're on the journey with CMS, moving to close the Equity gaps. An example of where they've already moved is the inaugural uh, class of ACL Reach this year. And we have ins- two instances of that, of ACL Reach at Advocate Health, and we're very proud of that. We're proud of CMS for engaging in that good work. And we're going to learn from that, just like we did in MSSP in the early years. Uh, and we'd like to help shape and improve that program to improve care for our patients, and and at the same time, make healthcare more affordable, because we know we're on a collision course here of uh, just uh, an unsustainable model um, in in the fee-for-service world. So we we see value-based care and the direction of CMS as as, as an answer to uh, the problem that we have of affordability and and the gaps in care that we have in quality and health equity.
0: You mentioned fee-for-service model is unsustainable for the future. I would agree with that in a lot of ways, and I think a lot of people would. In the present, though, how how are you finding providers right now being in survival mode because of the economic pressures they're facing? and it would obviously be ideal to get to that value-based care model but a lot of these providers right now are just trying to make ends meet and keep doors open and taking additional risk on right now almost kind of goes against the business sense of things so uh, what kind of incentives can you provide for providers right now to adopt those value-based care models
1: well you hit it you certainly have to make it attractive and this has to be an attractive model for the payers and for the providers that everybody's got to win. So if we don't create models where everyone's going to win um, to, to hit those mutual goals of improving quality and lowering the cost, it it's it isn't going to work. Um, I, I think that you, using behavioral economics, that you know, if you stand back and look and what, what incentivizes physicians and what really incentivizes them is giving great care to patients. But when, when we dangle different incentives in front of them, they follow. It's just behavioral economics and, and changing out of that fear for service mode is hard. But if we give our tools, the, the tools that physicians need to improve quality and then be incentive and have a model that's sustainable and rewarding to them uh, and also to the payer, um, you know, that, that's how we'll really win
0: together. And what type of tools you, you mentioned? What what are those? some of those tools that we can give to providers?
1: Sure. Well, um, I was a family physician for 32 years, and I, I lived in this world of knowing how I was going to be incentive and what I wanted to do for my patients. So when I had an, an electronic record that was friendly, <laughs> which in my career, I didn't have that, but I think we're getting there. Um, and then data collection—that's you know um, easy—and easy that can cross multiple EHRs, so that we can get a, a robust database to make good decisions and feed that to our physicians. What do they need? Where? What are the care gaps? How? How can we lay out success? And then just come along, providers, with you know making their work-life balance good, making um, the, the improvements in care understandable, prioritize them and help them lead them along, they're on the train. And then when they start feeling success like our, uh, and I don't wanna say just physicians, our whole care team, it's the pharmacists, it's the care managers, um, social workers, our nurse practitioners, it's a whole host of folks who are working really hard together. When they get that momentum, and I believe we have that in our system, fortunately, folks can see the light that they're they are actually um, improving care and, and making creating a model that's more sustainable, rewarding for patients and the caregivers.
0: Is there a bit of a mindset shift that has to uh, occur within that? Obviously, how we measure growth in healthcare is often determined by revenue and you know what, what you're bringing into the bottom line. Uh, obviously, physicians have a, are very focused on how do I improve outcomes, how do I improve care. How can we bridge the gap between those two ways of thinking?
1: Well, I think that does get back to behavioral economics, to the modeling, and helping folks understand that it's not just transactional. You do more, so you get paid more. Now, if you can get the model right, that we're going to pay you to do a really great job, which is what you want to do and then also hospital administrators and operations folks helping them to see that if they can get closer to the first dollar to create efficiencies in, in in the system cut out the waste and 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 then be rewarded for that and and come alongside the providers that is a winner in my book
0: and you kind of alluded to it a little bit but the, some of the data capture that is needed to measure quality and some of the requirements that have to be in place with these payers? What type of barriers do they create to getting to that value-based care model, and and how can we find a way to ease them?
1: I think any way we can reduce the burden on on the physicians, uh, you know, getting easier data pulls, creating interoperability of um, various electronic uh, health records, and other data capture. We just have to make it easier for everyone and then create that transparency where everybody can see where we're going.
0: And what advice could you give to a provider that is hoping to negotiate a value-based contract with a pair? What would you recommend they keep in mind or, or try to hit in the negotiation?
1: The negotiation has to be a win-win it, it, because the next year it's not going to be sustainable if both parties don't succeed. So it has to be a winner for the payer and a winner for the provider. So keeping that in mind and just putting that on the table uh, and and being transparent about that and then monitoring that, that's gonna create year over year success to build on. Um, so, So that's the first thing. And then I think the other piece for a provider to look at is what current capabilities will drive success it, 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 is there something built into the incentive model that you're not going to be able to build quickly or that you already have in year 1 or year 2 it, it, you're going to be in trouble so look look for your own look within your own capabilities or what you could build uh, in an efficient fashion to drive success and then just pick one two or three areas of focus because you can't change everything in your health system or in your network in a year so it may be a practical example um, we we focused early on on reducing unnecessary skilled nursing facility admissions not that we didn't provide them when it was appropriate but we looked at overutilization where there was a, a space of waste and and actually the fa- patients and families didn't want long sniff stays or unnecessary sniff stays either so it was a great patient experience win for us also so i think just Picking one or two of those areas of focus early on and, and, and do them really well. Go deep, invest in those areas, and 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 knock it out and have an early win. That that also really helps.
0: How do you see value-based care trending, both kind of in the immediate future, in the next year or so, and then long term? What what are you noticing trends wise, and do you see is there a specific model that is emerging as uh, the most favorable? right now or, or something you could see coming up down the road?
1: Well, I, I think we are headed into new models no matter what, because as I said, I don't believe that fee-for-service is sustainable. So I think value-based care is the future. Would there be something else? I'd like to see what that is, but uh, I think partnering with our federal government and CMS, I think we're going the right way. And as I mentioned, building out MSSP, making it um, even more efficient and, and helping um, other systems to, and provider groups to get on the train and, and, and create a win-win there also. And that, that, But also, I really love that, that they're leaning into closing health equity gaps. So, I think ACO Reach is something to keep uh, an eye on. We're going to learn. We're probably going to make some mistakes, but I, I really think those innovative models where we can get uh, provider groups and, and ACOs together to work in those and, and experiment a little bit and 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 then create create that win-win to sustainability in the future.
0: Great. Well, thank you very much, Doctor Suck, for joining me on the podcast. I really appreciate your time again. It's a pleasure. Thanks, Jay. Thank you to Walters Kluwer for sponsoring this episode, and thank you for listening to the Health Leaders podcast. We'll be back next Tuesday with more healthcare industry insights.